Welcome back to Make Do. I'm Julia Scott. And I'm Tiff Arment. And it is almost my birthday. <laughs> it is almost your birthday, which means it's the last day of Inktober. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a prime year birthday. How are yeah. you feeling about Inktober? I'm feeling great, actually. I have been keeping up with it and I can't believe myself. I'm like, <laughs> hey, let me reach around, pat myself on the back, because this is the first time I've actually made it all the way through and done all the prompts and uh, I have no intention of stopping. And I think it's because <laughs> I feel successful this year because I have a theme mm -hmm. and I wasn't just kind of adrift in an ocean of possibilities and <laughs> therefore getting myself bogged down with things. And also I'm trying to keep it fairly simple. I think if you go really, really detailed and it's your first time or you're not into this kind of um, drawing every day kind of thing, that's an easy way to fail very quickly is you get really involved in the first few and then you feel like you need to live up to a standard. And I feel like some days I'm, I'm just going to draw a stick figure version of myself in a situation and that's it. And I'm going to put it out there. Even if my lines aren't straight, uh, <laughs> it's better to just throw it out there with my scribbles and my overlapping lines than to not do it. So I'm feeling really good. Yeah. I've, I think f for me, just kind of going into it being like some things are going to be super complex some things are going to be super simple and I want to play with those things and play with different styles so that I mm -hmm. like maybe the opposite I don't feel like I have to stick to a theme or a style like neither cartoony nor realistic and that's that's been a lot of fun so far I want to ask you, so there are a lot of Inktober drawings being thrown around and a couple from some people that I had no idea had a really amazing drawing ability, like uh, Jimmy Marks. He is just killing it. Like, I can't believe how good he is. I had no idea. He was just kind of a, a funny host on a weather podcast called Ice Station Houseman. And that just really surprised me. So I was really excited about that. But then also I got these feelings of... Um, drawing envy or like jealousy because <laughs> I was like hey I had no idea he had any ability at all and he's so good and he's so much better than me and his lines are all clean and it's it's just like when I first saw you drawing and I was like wait a minute she said she couldn't draw and now it's amazing and I'm so <laughs> mad and it makes me hate you a little bit and it makes me hate him a little bit but it's like that kind of artistic envy hate it's just like it's a, the little Arr. sister hate yeah, exactly. It's the but it, it kind of propels me to want to be better uh, instead of just shutting you down. You know, it's not <laughs> that kind of upset. But still, it that's been a big thing is seeing like being able to handle seeing people that are really, really good at this and not feel defeated. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really big step that I, I think I wasn't ready to take a few years ago. And now it's like feeling comfortable in your own style, even if it's not the most refined or beautiful thing that if I'm going to be doing like inky little tiff drawings, that's great for me. I don't have to live up to someone else's standards. And so, yeah, that, that was like a big thing for me because before I've always been trying to live up to everyone else's standards and trying to do their style mm, and yeah, failing yeah, yeah, yeah. because I was never good at their style because it wasn't mine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I can, I, I've found you can like find inspiration or find like a nudge because mm -hmm. uh, I've also really been enjoying both. Um, I know in the, in the Pen Addict Slack, there's an, an art channel where people mm -hmm. have been posting a ton of stuff. And I don't know if it's because I'm paying more attention this year or just like Inktober is growing. But I feel like I'm see like you, like I'm seeing a lot more in my feed of people I already follow on top of trying to check out the the hashtag every now and then to to find different people because you really see and I kind of appreciate just as much like I appreciate the people who are like insanely talented who are so good but oh, I also course. but I also appreciate like the people like you know you and me who are like playing around and who are pretty good but then also the people who are like I mean you know it's the thing everyone can draw everyone can sing you just have to practice but people who are very much like noobs which is not mm -hmm. a bad thing that's just like where they are but who are still you know committed and enjoying it and who are just like I'm doing a thing every day because it is it's a really good I mean literally a prompt to do it because it's not it doesn't always come natural to do something every day 
Right. And I, um, I, I watched the Jake Parker video at the very beginning of Inktober. And one of the things he said that really stood out to me was at the end of the 31 days, he's like, I guarantee your drawing will be better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no matter where you started, you're going to be better in 31 days. If you're, you're going to be 30, 30 things better. Yeah. And that is, that was kind of like uplifting for me. And I even look at it now. I'm like, oh, my little tiff drawings are getting kind of a little bit more refined than they started out, you know, like, <laughs> uh, like, I don't know, three weeks ago when I kind of started it. So it was, uh, it was, it was like, yeah, that's kind of eye opening. I'm, and that makes me feel really great that I've brought myself all the way to that point and gotten to see the improvement, even as minor as it is. And I just hope for anyone else who ends up doing this and, and doesn't quit and, and sticks it out does see an improvement in their own work and that encourages them to keep going. Yeah. And I, I really, I'm looking forward to, I haven't been doing it, you know, during the month of October cause it would feel kind of funny, but I, I'm really looking forward to um, exploiting we draw Wednesdays yes. to sort of keep, keep an impetus going to, to keep yeah, drawing. That's, I hope, I hope that that coming off of Inktober, I hope that that can be like a nice little launch pad for we draw Wednesdays so that like we can get more people into it and see if, um, more people want to draw on Wednesdays because man, I got to tell you, I think it's also kind of like a little competition going on with some of the people who give me suggestions on Wednesdays, which, uh, <laughs> to stump it, you. Well, it's just like some of the stuff is so funny. Like we get a kick out around, um, my family and I at the dining table when we're all eating together, I read off some of the suggestions and some of them are just so funny. They're just, they're too complicated for me to draw in a day, but they are just hilarious. And the ones that stand out the most are the ones that I end up drawing. But I almost feel like it's becoming a competition to have the weirdest suggestion. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like I love the ones that are super kind of, I don't know, like very philosophical, like, I don't know, like, oh, I want a morose umbrella stand. And it's like, (laughs) oh, okay. (laughs) Everyone wants everything to be sad. It's really very funny. (laughs) I'm thinking about making a sticker out of the sad banana. You should. I would mm-hmm. put that on my iPad. Yeah. It's just so sad. Just laying there. <laughs> uh, you've you've uh, acquired something that's not digital that you want to brag about. I do, because I don't have a forum to talk about this stuff. Well, I guess on the pen addict Slack I would, but I want to talk to you about it. And I got a beautiful new pen uh, from the Tokyo Pen Show. <laughs> I had, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm guessing you didn't go and not post about it. You had someone buy it for you. <laughs> I didn't go. I didn't go. But I, uh, I had a, I had a friend, a pen friend, who went and got one for me. I got one of the Magic of Alice pens, and from Sailor. It, it my, is, my face, my face, my jaw. Send it's, me a picture. Send me a picture. Oh, in the, I'm going to take beautiful pictures of it. It's finally sunny today. The last two days have been raining since I've had it in like in my possession and uh i i want to take some nice bright pictures of it because it's so <laughs> sparkly and beautiful and it has like this tiffany blue kind of color to it. oh my god that's so speaking of tiffany blue did you see that you can get a tiffany's advent calendar for the low low price of one hundred and twelve thousand dollars? oh my god did you know you could buy a tiffany sharpie for like two hundred dollars or something yeah i ridiculous? know <laughs> oh i know well i mean we're we're classy ladies what can i say <laughs> uh but but it's yeah it's just so beautiful and I just wanted to tell you about it I just absolutely love it I saw it on um, when they posted a kind of a teaser photo of it and I was like that pen is mine it speaks to my soul (laughs) and I was like just any way I could possibly manage to acquire it I was super super stoked so it's here what are you gonna ink it with I have the ink too the tears of Alice ink also came with it (laughs) So I'm very excited. All I need is a converter now because that is the one thing I did forget. So all you pen people out there, or if you're interested in pens, since I just went on a rant about this beautiful fountain pen that I got, (laughs) and you might be like, what is she talking about? You should go over to The Pen Addict, which is also on Relay FM, and you can hear all about uh, weekly pen news that goes on. And it's it's a pretty fantastic, very long-running podcast. Yeah, and there... and um. Brad, who is one of the hosts, also has a blog called The Pan Addict, where you can read even more if yeah. if if trying to catch up on like 400 episodes stresses you out right, right yeah, away. You can start right from the brand new episode. You don't need to do the back catalog because it's mostly pen news. So unless you really get into the host, then go in the back, go 
to the back catalog, but otherwise you can just start it off. But yeah, if you haven't, um, if you've been drawing with pens or if you're interested in fountain pens, I've been watching a lot of people recently, especially for Inktober, drawing more with fountain pens. And and, and painting with inks, which is yep. really cool. So I kind of want to uh, try that out a, a lot more than just my normal filling notebooks full of garbage that I normally do and just writing like song <laughs> lyrics over and over again. So <laughs> so that's um, that's kind of a, a transition there, right? Like drawing with fountain pens is a totally a thing. So if you're into that, why not have a beautiful pen to do it with? <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel a little nervous about this episode uh because Ooh. last episode was uh you telling us all about your cool 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 job and so many people have agreed that it is a cool 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 job <laughs> at the costume shop uh we decided that that um turnabout is fair play or what's good for the goose is good for the gander or whatever unless it's a naughty goose you like <laughs> it's a very bad goose <laughs> uh so yeah so now uh tiff is gonna grill grill me so i want to spend this episode talking to Julia about both journalism and pottery. I mean, we've heard a bunch about your pottery, so I'm going to kind of put that one <laughs> to the side for a little bit. What I want to hear about is more about your journalism career, because you have one of those sweet blue check marks over on Twitter, which I'm totes jealous of. <laughs> Can't stand you that you have that. But um, it is because you are a journalist and sometimes you're on TV, which is super cool. So how did this all start for you? So uh, I have a master's degree in film studies, uh, and which is very useful. Uh, actually, it kind of is because I do I do use it in my work sometimes. Now, I, I went to journalism school uh, after I got my degree. It's a really good program, primarily because uh, it's one of the biggest ones in, in Sweden. And it's really good because they have a really good interaction and uh, internship programs with a lot of uh, media outlets throughout the country. So I did my internship at a local TV station. Um, about an hour north of, of Stockholm, where I live. Uh, and I was what's called a video reporter, meaning that you uh, shoot and interview and edit, like you, you do the whole segment yourself. So I almost never had a, a cameraman or a photographer, mm -hmm. which is really, really like useful to learn all those skills. And I do love making segments and making like video stuff. Uh, and it makes you sort of very good at, you know, doing all that stuff and thinking about the whole picture. But a, a photographer, a videographer, a cameraman, they're pros at that. So, mm -hmm. so you know, it will almost always be better when you have someone there who's really, really good at that part. And also, it means that you can focus on asking the questions and not have to, you know, also try to, you know, keep track of are they still in frame, all that stuff. But it was a really... Because I had... Um, I'm an achiever. So people are like, well, you're, you know, you're one of the top students in the class. Why would you want to be at this tiny local TV station? Why wouldn't you want to be at like one of the big newspapers or one of the, you know, national channels? And I thought about that. But, you know, I got thrown into it right away. Like I, I you know, did a piece, I think my second day there, whereas my classmates who were at much bigger outlets, you know, the stuff that they report on is too important most of the time to give to an intern especially a new intern so they spent a lot of time you know on introductions and shadowing I got started right away because you get sent out and you you know you report on a kindergarten class that is writing letters to people in another country and you mm -hmm. do like oh this is a project and I'm reporting on it and it was so getting to like being thrown into it right away and getting to really be with people reporting on big things and small things. And it really made me good at, you know, thinking about what's the story. You don't always have a lot of time. You don't always have a lot of time to research. You don't always have a lot of time to talk to people. You have to get, so you have to really figure out like, what's the core? What's the essence of the story? What kind of questions do you ask to A, get good answers, B, get good TV, which isn't necessarily the good thing mm -hmm. or the same thing. Uh, and that made me really, really good and at and really, really prepared for a lot of other things I've done. Uh, because after that, I was hired uh, at the same station uh, as a reporter and as an anchor. So I also did news anchoring. Mm -hmm. And I love freaking people out by doing anchor voice. <laughs> Go <laughs> ahead. Oh, now you have to do the anchor voice. Go ahead. <laughs> No. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll do it some other time. Uh, no, but it was so funny because you 
especially with the local news, you really become such a part of people's like life and breakfast. People would recognize my voice and not necessarily recognize my face because they would like be listening to me reporting the news while they were doing stuff in the morning uh, or in the evening for that matter. Uh, but but then I've done a lot of different stuff. So during all this, I was blogging. I wrote film reviews for a magazine. Uh, I began blogging for a tech website and I was asked, it was a tech website that was kind of geared toward women. Mm-hmm. So not just like women's tech and pink tech, but like it it included stuff that a lot of other tech websites didn't write about, but also tried to be sort of accessible. So I was asked to uh, come be a sort of gadget expert for a morning talk show. And that became a, a running gig that I did for a couple of years. And after a while, you sort of wind up in a Rolodex of people who who know things and who are good for radio or TV. Like people will call you in to sometimes just like comment four or five sentences on something that's going on. Like I was on the radio for like a 15 minute segment when Facebook hit, was it half a billion users or something like (laughs) certain numbers and talk about like, what is going on? What does this mean? Uh, What is, what is an iPad and why is it important? Like all these different things and you do radio and TV. And I've also done a lot of uh, moderating and, uh, being like a, a panel host or panel moderator or interviewing people on stage. And that's where doing all of that local TV news was so great because I know how to ask a good question, a question that it almost doesn't matter if it like, you know, metaphorically makes it into the story. Because I think a lot of people want to seem smart on stage. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I am not important here. The other person is, how do I make them look good and smart and help the audience understand things? Because that's like... That's why I went into journalism is I want to help, you know, I want to help one part of the story share their story, like get it out there, make it understandable for people. And then I want to help the other part, the audience, understand something. And sometimes that's a tiny thing like, well, they will understand like how do kids learn about stamps? Oh, they can, you know, you have to learn how to address things because kids don't know that these days. And then you can write letters to someone across the globe or whatever. Uh, or it's something huge and complex, or you just help someone find out this amazing life story someone had. Like, I want to transmit things from, you know, one part to another. And sometimes that's people, and sometimes that's events, and sometimes that's writing columns with things that I've thought about that make people think differently. And it's just, it's, because I've, I've worked a lot of different places. I've worked as a reporter, you know, writing news pieces, writing columns, I've worked in sort of digital development, digital interaction, tons of different stuff. And what's funny is I I sort of didn't specialize because you're supposed to have a niche. Most people do like that's that's how you often succeed. And I kind of didn't or I specialized in a lot of different things. So like I've talked about and written about like film and TV and I've talked about body issues and tech and gadgets and internet and crafts and kind of funnily it's just worked which is funny like sometimes they're like we can't have you on because you were on a different show on the same channel two days ago talking about something else and it's going to confuse the audience but the only thing that I'm kind of sad about is that once you do become sort of an, an expert in that sort of digital landscape people want that because it's hard to find people who are good at it. and also I think a lot of people are like oh thank god it's not another like white man in his 40s mm-hmm. so finding someone who was a little younger who was a woman and who could come in and help people develop that stuff where I was like I want to write long weird literary pieces about a guy in a cabin but I you know I've had fun and I've gotten to do a ton of a ton of different stuff so I've supported myself like financially professionally as a journalist for about 10 years uh, which is not a given uh it wasn't a given 10 years ago and you know the the media media sphere and the media space is changing a lot and it's getting really really tough sometimes it drives me crazy and i'm like hmm could i work in a supermarket could i start like delivering mail could i do anything except this but this is like kind of what I'm good at this is what I'm made for so it's my calling and you're still doing it now mm-hmm. um and you are uh so what are some of the publications you've um like written for and worked with well I mean tons uh 
but most of them are in Swedish. Uh, but lots of different, both like newspapers, the biggest newspapers, uh, and magazines about all sorts of things. You know, I've written, again, interviews, reporting pieces, columns. I've had recurring spots on morning TV, on morning news. Uh, I've been uh, a panelist on like TV discussion TV shows. Uh, I think the one that most of our audiences might, you know, have access to, might have heard of is uh, Makezine, which unfortunately has folded, but the articles are still available. And... I wrote a piece for The Guardian once, but like basically if you just imagine most of the kind of news outlets that you would think about if someone asked you, I will have worked with the equivalent of that in Sweden. And it's it's funny because part of me is like, oh, I'm, you know, making too much of myself here. But no, I am achiever and I've <laughs> I've um, I'm I'm, you know. When I joke on my on my Twitter that I'm a medium sized deal, that's kind of it. Like I get recognized sometimes, but unfrequently enough that it's nice and not annoying. Do you find it frustrating that like all the American components when you are on Twitter or in other realms, not to be like centrist, but it feels like if you come and travel here, everyone's like, wait, who? <laughs> and do, I, I think I would feel very frustrated. Be like, no, I'm like. I'm a deal. <laughs> like, Checkmark. A... <laughs> Look at my checkmark. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, just because I'm in another country doesn't mean that I'm not a deal. Like, come <laughs> on. Uh, I don't know. I would feel frustrated. Do you ever feel that way? That a you're little like, bit. Do you, ha- do you feel like you have to, when you travel and you start kind of forming more of a base somewhere else? Because, I mean, we have a, a very large American audience with this show. Uh, you come over for pen shows. We see you here for conferences. Uh, you have lived here. Uh, it's just do you so what I'm saying is do you find the need to justify yourself professionally when you are among a group that is like who are you uh (laughs) I I don't I don't know that would drive me nuts a little bit uh but it's I think it's primarily also that like I can't make more specific references Uh, because if I say like well I'm a journalist in Sweden and people like oh different country fancy uh but I can't say like the kind of stuff, like I can say generally, like I just did, like, oh, I do TV shows and magazines and newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't like specifically say like, oh, I'm on uh, Kelly and no, wait, what are they called? Regis and Kelly uh, every Tuesday <laughs> or something. On? I have no idea. But like, <laughs> I don't know either. you know, I can't make those. But but I but sometimes I have that experience here as well, because I do like I think primarily my issue is that I do so many different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, so I say like, oh, I, I know I write and I do radio and ITV and I do all this stuff where I think people maybe want to hear. And sometimes I wish I could say like, oh, you know, I have a column in this newspaper or one of Sweden's biggest newspapers or whatever. So it's, it's more that that I joke that sometimes at parties, I just want to say like, oh, I'm a hairdresser so that, I, you know, you don't have to try to explain, oh, I do all of these different things. Uh, and that sometimes I feel a little bit like you're like no I'm you know I am a big deal because who's who's gonna check and how like I could say like oh I'm you know I'm Sweden's top stage actress or <laughs> I'm a prima ballerina you know like who sneaky, how would you sneaky <laughs> <laughs> so so like I don't know if, if people believe me but then I also feel weird being like you know if I meet someone and being like oh yeah no I'm you know, I'm a C plus level famous in Sweden. People run up to me on the street and like, hey, I love what you do. Bye. Uh, people ask to take selfies with me, which I love. But again, I'm not famous enough that I'm like, oh, thank God I can walk among, you know, like a regular mortal on the street when I go to New York. I mean, I also I have a lot of friends who are, you know, more successful or, or recognizable or famous in Sweden as well. Uh, so it, it's not like I'm I go from being like super famous and successful to being a nobody. Like I'm, I'm very happy being, you know, micro, micro famous and doing what I do. What is the most, uh, most proud that you've been in terms of journalism? Uh, like a piece that you were most proud of doing or a story that you led on? I just kind of want to know about like your, your favorite standout moment. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can necessarily like pinpoint one specific thing. It might be my my first book, which was about like health and body and body image in society, because so many people 
have told me that it like helped them think differently about things and like it, I, I feel like it really really made a difference like that's a little bit my legacy kind of maybe mm-hmm. uh but then also there are things like the tiny reporting pieces that maybe like changed a routine in a system in the daycare organization like you know the tiny things that helped someone either feel better or feel seen and that's not something that you would point to specifically but to be like this one person feels like something happened because of this this one person feels heard a lot of the time the thing that I'm like proudest of is usually like a big thing that I've done recently so if I've done you know, I've gotten to write a long, interesting piece where I talk to someone or if I'm like, oh, I really, really nailed this whole red, uh, like a, a theme throughout a piece. Um, but then I also, I'm I, I'm always happy, like nobody, this is, this is always my philosophy. Nobody's ever sad when you tell them that you like something they did. And that very much goes for me. So I love when people like tell me that they liked what I did. But when I've done you know, interviewed someone on stage or moderated a panel and when both the audience and the person or people that I talk to tell me afterwards that they really like appreciated the work that I did, that they're happy with how it went and they feel like, oh, that went well. That also feels like that's a very special kind of happy because again, like I've done something really well, but I wasn't the one that like came out looking good. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't about me. Because when sometimes when like if I give a presentation, you know, I give an author talk or I you know go visit somewhere or I write something that's really cool and people are like, wow, that was great. Then like the light is on me. But mm-hmm. when it's like, oh, you did a great job helping someone else really tell a story or uh, share information like you made this experience good for the person who, you know, is the expert or the star and for the audience I'm sounding so like selfless and holy, but like that really makes me feel good because I know also like they're not trying to make me feel good by saying, hey, you're a great speaker. They're like, thank you for making that, you know, run smoothly and well and Mm -hmm. making everyone involved happy. So, I mean, also like when people are like, wow, that was great. Something I did. I love that as well. But Well, of course. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> like compliments? A monster. Monsters right, don't right, like right. compliments. Actually, no, I even think monsters enjoy compliments as long as it's about how scary they are. But like. <laughs> My, but the thing that I'm most proud of in the sense of like how but like in that moment of your like, what is my life was. Do you remember the dancing baby gif, which yeah. also came with the music? I have done the. Uh, dancing baby dance next to the guy who sang the Uga Chaka song for a TV Whoa. show. That is a crowning achievement. Yeah, you exactly. That's, that's where you're like, so this is a thing. <laughs> I love Dally McBeal. <laughs> also, I've I've interviewed Samuel L. Jackson. That was really, really cool. <sighs> Did you talk to Robert Downey Jr.? Because then I'll really be jealous. <laughs> no, no. Because it, right. it was a bunch of interviews for Captain Marvel and he wasn't in that. <laughs> just whatever he's in that's what i like <laughs> um so what other doors has journalism opened for you because you were explaining how you know you ended up moving through your career based on like meeting people and doing stories and and moving around which is generally uh, mostly how everyone seems to make the rounds in their career you run <laughs> into one person then that opens up a door for this person and and so forth but has journalism brought you anywhere past journalism that you um, never thought that you would be able to get to or see or enjoy that this this kind of profession opened for you I did say Samuel L. Jackson right no. oh yeah you did hear me say Samuel L. Yeah. Jackson right no I the, the door is open to Samuel L. Jackson yeah I mean part of the thing about jumping around is also that the media business I think in a lot of countries and in, in Sweden in particular because that's where my experience is you get a lot of like what are called like uh, project jobs or like they're sort of like temp jobs, but not really. So like you generally don't stay at one place more than like a year because of like weird hiring rules. And it's, it's all weird and complicated. So like, it's not necessarily that I've jumped around. It's that I've been a lot of different places because you're not, you you don't get like long-term employment necessarily, but Mm -hmm. also I've loved trying a lot of different things. I think I, I, I'm pretty sure that I had an easier time pitching a book to a publisher because I had, you know, a little bit of a name and I had definitely, you know, I had proof. They knew that I could write. They didn't necessarily know that I could write uh, long form and complete that, but they knew that like I was a good writer and I could, I understood deadlines and I understood sort of structure. 
I, th- I think in general, like you said, like it's a domino thing, you know, something opens a door that opens another door. And as you get more connections and you get to try new things where people are like, well, you know, you're you're good at doing this one thing. Do you want to try this other thing? Or someone has worked with you and is like, well, she she's fun and I think she could be good for this. And you get to try a small thing. Mm-hmm. But, I th- you know, I think I think it is like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, notwithstanding, it's getting mm-hmm. to see all these weird things and talk to talk to people who have sometimes like you know stimulated me into thinking about something differently and sometimes just like you know feeling feeling differently about something and or feeling good about yourself and being like wow i this this is you know having this you know two-hour conversation that it's not all going to make it into the piece but it has made me reevaluate things about my life and the choices that i'm making and you know, a lot of that maybe comes into the piece and maybe it doesn't because sometimes you're there to talk about one thing. And once all those questions are done, you find yourself in this super deep, interesting discussion with someone who has done something super cool or wants to do things or thinks about things differently. So that that's, you know, getting to meet a lot more new and different people than maybe most people do just for, you know, if you're in an office doing office things you're not going to meet all these weird people who are like, oh, you know, I kayak in super cold rapids. And you're like, okay, that was fun. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, like I think, like I am, you know, I'm very curious about other people and I love telling stories. And because I'm, you know, I'm very full of myself, but I'm not full of myself enough to think that everything I do all the time is going to be interesting. So when other people have interesting stories, I'm like, I can, I can help, you know, I can be a funnel, I can be a conduit, whatever you want to, but I get to meet all these interesting people and then I get to share them with other people. So that is just like, that is really cool. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like having an interesting job? (laughs) (laughs) I have to say it's pretty amazing. Uh, And it makes conversations a lot easier. Uh, especially when you could just bring up Samuel L. Jackson. Be like, hey. <laughs> yeah. And I think it is also important to say, like, depending on both like what kind of journalist you are and also like what week it is or what day it is. I think it is kind of like with your costume job, like on the whole, it can be super fun and super rewarding. And then some days, you know, you're gluing Swarovski crystals for a week mm-hmm. or like, you know, I could have weeks or months where I was like, I'm just doing these weird, tiny little super local stories about like, oh, this bike rack is being moved eight feet to the left. I can't tell you how many yards of fabric I had to iron for days, <laughs> days yeah. of fabric ironing, like or, hundreds or, of you yards. Know, all, the th- all the things that that don't happen, that don't come through. We're like, you've been making phone calls for days and days and days mm-hmm. and trying to set something up and it can fall like somebody gets too nervous to talk or it's not even a glamorous story. It's like, oh, sorry, like this meeting got pushed and he's going to be in another part of town that day and he can't like whatever it might be. And and it is it is stressful to be in a business that is changing so much and shrinking and the money's disappearing and everybody's pivoting. And then it turns out like, oh, we pivoted to video because Facebook lied about all their statistics. But oops, now we fired everyone. So... Yeah. And then sometimes people will like at dinner parties tell you that you're evil and you're the downfall of your, of society. And you're like, I just want to tell people about great like technological aids for old people. <laughs> Monsters. Right. That's actually no, I've, I've changed my, my the thing that I'm most proud of is my Oprah moment when I oh. talked when I talked about uh, magnetic tape, like, you know, in a little tape roller, like a dispenser. Uh, I talked about it on a morning on the morning talk show when I was doing my like, hey, these are fun things to organize and like make things easier for you. And it sold out in a bunch of stores throughout the country. Hey. <laughs> so like friends would tell me like, oh, it was so, you know, sold out here, sold out here. And somebody was like, you know, went to the, the information desk and the guy there was like, why is everyone asking about magnetic tape today? And I was like, <laughs> I did that. I did that. But you caused an epidemic. I did. It was really <laughs> funny. So, journalism, right? Mm-hmm. And pottery? <laughs> <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> uh, is this like kind of a, um, you're going from something that's so, I don't know, like <laughs> taking something that's so mental and then having something that's so very physical? I mean, making pottery is like, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's like sculpture, right? But It's very usable. sort of. 
I was gonna say visceral, but that sounds gross. But like very corporeal. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do. And I it's think... so there, right? It takes up so much space. Like just making it and having it and transporting it, like everything you have to do with pottery is such a space taking up thing. Whereas I feel like journalism, it doesn't take up any space. I mean that just that depends. Like I have I have carried you know camera equipment that weighed many 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 pounds like through oh, the yes, snow but... up to my up to my thighs. Uh, but yeah, no, I get what you mean, and I think about that a lot. Like sort of getting to switch between, like you said, something that's super like cerebral and sort of vague to something that's very very concrete and very physical. But I also think it's hilarious that I when I was like, okay, I need something else to do. And then that thing became like a money making thing. And I was like, oh, both of these things do not make you rich at all. I monetize both of my hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I should have like, oh, my 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 other, you know, part time job is fixing cars or something that's actually useful. Like I'm a plumber. I don't think you'll make a ton of money being a plumber or a car fixer these days either. Unfortunately, I think plumber. Yes, maybe not car fixer. You just need you. Nothing, Plumber, nothing yes but that's a it's a very physical job you got to work hard for that money do, 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 do. <laughs> true true <laughs> yeah tell me about pottery i know you've kind of you you had a vague notion of getting into it so you took some uh, essentially classes at like a shared workshop am i correct there Correct? Sort of. Yeah. Yes. No, my, my mom wanted to. Uh, so this was like 15 years ago at the oof. Oh, God. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You can't say things like that. It's, it's no, I know. It knocks you on your butt and you're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> no, my mom had been talking about like, oh, I've always wanted to take, you know, throwing classes, like pottery throwing classes. And I was getting Not coffee. Knife throwing. No, <laughs> actually, she meant knife throwing and you went to pottery. and She was like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> so embarrassing. Uh, yeah, no. So I was actually I was in a coffee shop with a friend and I went to the bathroom and I saw one of those like you know number phone number tearaway sheets those like pottery classes did did the camera zoom in and like it kind of lit up kind of uh-huh. ethereally yeah just exactly like <laughs> yeah no so because my mom was like uh oh that sounds great i'll do it if you come with me because she was a little nervous about doing it alone and i was like all right whatever uh and it was pretty close to where i lived at the time so we went uh and then we went again and then we went again <laughs> and then like i kept taking classes over a number of years uh over and over again, just like summer classes. And so, you know, that went on for like almost 10 years. And I just, I I didn't realize it was that long. So I was just like, I just go because I loved, I loved doing it. It was fun. And I would, you know, I I, I felt myself really growing. And also almost every time doing things that would make my pottery teacher be like, okay, sure. Like she would just like laugh and and shake her head. Uh, Like doing things like 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 tentacle mugs or uh, a teapot that looked like it was welded together from metal, even though it was all clay, or just like playing with all these weird things and having cool. <laughs> weird ideas about techniques. And then uh, I think basically, like people, people responded to my tentacle mugs, and people are like, you know, do you sell stuff? And generally, I would sell because you can't you can't produce that much just in classes. And I started considering like. Do, you know, could I could I sell these for, you know, any decent kind of amount that would make it more of a business and not just like, you know, I sell the stuff that won't fit in my cabinets. And I also wanted to see, like, can I make, you know, an amount of things that would make it plausible? So that was when about six years ago, I think, five or six years ago, when I rented a spot in a in a studio space from a friend of a friend, you know, and I had to do a lot of math on sort of a sweet spot for what I could charge, what I should charge. And also, like, do I do I enjoy this if it a, you know, I have to do it a lot, a lot more. And also if I have to produce specific things and larger numbers of specific things. And the answer turned out to be yes and has sort of continued to be yes. And then when we moved into a house, I had the luxury of being able to slowly build up a studio. And sometimes you know, I'm like, should should I go back to having it as a hobby? But A, you know, I like producing things. And it's really hard if you get into this weird sort of in-between area, I think. Like, you're, you're making too much to not sell, but you need to make a little bit more. And you also need to make an effort to, to find markets and, like, put in that kind of work mm-hmm. to sell stuff or to take pictures to sell online. Uh, so, you're like, you either have to be, like, really hobby or make a bit of like at, at least like more of an effort than just a little bit because otherwise you're going to sell a little bit unless you 
unless you go super viral, I guess, but then you're like in a whole other level. Yeah, there's this weird um, limbo area where it's like you want to keep making stuff because you enjoy it, but then all of a sudden your inventory just gets too high for you to do anything with it uh, realistically yourself. And then, but then it's too low to like really bring anything to a place and be like, hey, here's my 20 extra pot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But also like finding, having the time to find that place, go talk Mm -hmm. to them, figure out what should you charge what you charge for wholesale like pay for a table like yeah exactly stuff. like because yep. i've also had to think about that like what do i charge when people want to buy wholesale what do i charge if they want to sell on commission so it is more work and but i do i really do enjoy both like making the same thing and, and improving and improving and seeing people enjoy those things and then also experimenting and figuring out new stuff like i just Hey, I just realized I've kind of uh, fulfilled one of my New Year's resolutions is uh, from last year, yeah. I think, was uh, producing like a, a whole new design thing because I've started making mugs with buttons on them. Hey! Like like uh, clothes buttons. So I'm going to sell those at a giant um, yarn fair this weekend. Uh, and I hope people have been really liking them on, on Instagram. So that's fun. Hey! I, that's that's awesome. thing. I didn't even realize. Woo, go me. Get your list. Check it off. <laughs> but also, you know, uh, challenging myself to do things that are harder uh, or working with shapes that I n- maybe don't like, but I know I need to work on. So it's it's weird, but it's fun. Uh, and I think I've, I've you know told the story before of how happy people, especially in like the media business, get when they hear that somebody does something that's real. Like if they hear they hear like, oh, you're a potter. Great. Because they're like, I don't want to talk about the media anymore. And then I'm like, should I tell them that <laughs> I'm also in the dirty business? Um, but it, it is nice to have something that's really like real. That's not and, and that stays around that is a part of people's lives in a way that even the greatest column usually isn't. Like even something that goes viral is usually only viral for you know, a week if you're lucky. Yeah. It's when someone's using a mug every single morning for their coffee, they're thinking about you essentially a little bit every single day. Whereas if they read something, it might affect them, but it only kind of pops up in your memory every now and then, you know? Yeah. And that's what I like about making, you know, useful things. Uh, it's, It's fun to do art pieces as well, but getting to yeah, be be a part of someone's day and where they're like, you know, I put flowers in this or I drink my coffee out of this or uh, I put my my rings and tea bags in, in these things. Yeah, I think about you all the time when I look at my beautiful vase on my shelf every day. It's right next to where we eat. And so I see it every day and I think Aww. of you. And then I also think of you for my brush holder tentacle cup because mine's not a mug because it holds brushes i had you make it a little bit taller for me which i love which i think you should make more of those because they're awesome and so i look at that often and i think of you. oh uh, i want to know the ugliest thing you've ever made i mean it must have been one of the earliest things that i made because that you when you're starting to learn to throw everything is wonky and uneven and heavy and small and it's it's also horrible because the things that like when you th- feel like you're starting to get better and you're like, wow, this is so great. And then you look back on it with way more experience. So like, oh, I, I, maybe it's like your um your bird painting, which I still think is great. <laughs> but when you're like when you can see it with the eyes of more experience and more sort of mm-hmm. refinement. But I still I feel kind of a tenderness to little early wonky. I think I feel about them the way I'm assuming moms feel about, you know, the things that their four year old makes. We're like, oh, you tried. That's so, you know, like, but I think like after a certain point, not that many ugly things survive because with clay, you probably, you generally see pretty early on in the throwing or building that things aren't going to go the way you want. You just like smush it or start over or you Mm -hmm. throw it out. So like they don't, they don't often get to the point where you're like, oh, so it's, it's more, we're like, wow, these proportions are really weird. And I didn't see it until the next day. So it's, and then sometimes you just have weird, like glaze mishaps, but it's not usually like anything that's interesting to talk about. You're like, all right, the glaze was way too thin and all this work is wasted. Guess I'll throw it out and start over. Or I'll do the thing where I'm like, all right, well, I guess my plants are going in this because I don't want to sell it and I don't want to throw it out. So. I almost always when I teach people to throw or, you know, when I recommend someone else to teach because I love teaching uh, people Mm -hmm. to throw. It's fun. I always tell people, like, consider saving the very first thing you make 
like definitely save some of the early pieces you make, even if you're like, I don't like this. But like save the first thing, A, because uh, everything is magically nicer after it's been glazed. It feels more like a professional thing, even if it's super Mm -hmm. wonky. And you don't you don't know that when you're starting out. But also just like regardless of if you save it to be able to compare and see how much you've grown or like the, the same way we talk about, you know, being nice to your younger self, just like treat yourself like a four-year-old we were like you made this you you mm-hmm. did this and people are super different in like how well they take to it in the beginning but just like save those early like a don't smush them together but also b don't throw them out when they've been glazed and you bring them home just like keep them for a, a while or forever you can always put like four m&ms in something <laughs> and plus i don't with pottery i don't know sometimes the ugly is okay you know, mm-hmm. like you could just be like, oh, it was supposed to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be really um, unstable on a surface. <laughs> <laughs> it's speaking about society. And <laughs> no, because some, some, it's also like, you know, maybe you made like small coffee mugs, but they weigh like a pound and a half. So they're not going to be great for like an espresso. But you could, you know, put change in them and be like, they're a nice little storage thing. All right. So final question. What is the thing you are most proud of making pottery wise? Like what is your kind of holy crap? I made this This (laughs) happened and it's here and I threw it myself. I think it's probably just like when I've made really nice big things like big vases, big bowls, especially because bowls are they they can be an adventure because they're they want to topple over. They get heavy. Uh, and then when you get it through all the different stages of trimming and glazing, like there are so many steps where it can go wrong, including steps where you haven't done anything. It's just like, oh, it dried a little bit too quickly and now it's cracked. Or even like sometimes I'm just so clumsy. I'll just like, oh, you know, I lifted it onto the shelf and then I stuck my whole thumbnail into it. Why did I do that? Those moments, it's like, why did my brain do that? Right. Do you like, do you, do you ever say that to yourself? You're like, I knew I was going to mess it up. Why did I just, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. No. Or where you're like, oh, you know, I'm leaning over to get something. Then I'm like, why, why did I squish this with my breast? Why did I not lean to the side? <laughs> you can, you can mess up so many ways, but, but yeah, like big things that also come out nice, I guess is like when, when it is nice through the whole step. And I'm especially proud when I've made big things with uh, reclaimed clay because that can make it harder. A, you really have to process it well. Like you have to wedge the clay, get all the air out, make sure that it's, you know, even in texture. And even then, because like the clay may not be entirely even in how wet different parts of it are, it, it, it can be more unstable. So like making something really big out of clay that I have reprocessed and reclaimed and like reworked is also, because then I'm very much like I you know, I did it right. It, it, it was worth doing and it was worth doing, doing right. So again, like, I don't know if I can say anything like super specific. I've been really happy with the sort of tall, thin vases. For some reason, I think of them as, as um Lego man head shaped, even though like they're stretched mm. out mm-hmm. just because like, that's, it's funny because it's, it's a shape that I, th- and I, I don't know if I talked about this in an earlier episode, but it's, it's a shape that I think non-potters might not necessarily react to as like quote-unquote impressive like it's a nice shape it's very aesthetically pleasing but you might not realize that like that kind of narrow tall and very straight shape can be challenging because any little sort of wobble or non-straightness will be very obvious but they're because they really force me to go against my instinct of like whoa this is what happened this is fun So your description of pottery and how the process is and everything really makes me appreciate all the pieces that I see out in the world now or I come across and I can really hone in on, ooh, this person's very good at this and (laughs) their prices are super high for a reason. And I, I really appreciate getting that kind of knowledge for any kind of artistic endeavor that people make because I think a lot of the times no one sees the value in the craftsmanship because we're so used to so many like mass produced things that are incredibly stupidly cheap. And when someone's making a version of that themselves by hand and the time and this and the skill and the craftsmanship that they put into it has value. And I just really appreciate any time that someone's able to shed a light on what that value actually means. Because when you 
you can tangibly think about like the effort that someone put into it. That to me is, it's just really, it's valuable. It, and mm-hmm. it makes me want to go out and, and support potters and different, <laughs> yeah, like support, um, different support other your makers local, and artists, yeah. your local craftsmen. But I think also even, even when people understand that, you know, this is handmade and this is different and this is, and even if that, you know, even if they want to appreciate the price and everything, it, it's also, cause like, how would you know all the steps of, of glass blowing or pottery or, uh, making a chair, you know, how would you understand the differences of different techniques? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. not an innate thing. And that's one of the many reasons that I love, you know, reality TV shows that are about making or that I, oh my God, making it is coming back in, uh, in December. I'm so yes. excited. And there's going to be a new season of a great pottery throwdown in January. Ha, ah, love it. Anyway, no, but like, that's why I love, you know, Instagram and, and blogs and YouTube, because you get to see all those things. And it's like, it's the best version of those like how it's made shows, mm-hmm. except it's not like a giant factory. It's this one guy uh, who's, you know, braiding a seat for a chair or this one woman who makes amazing paintbrushes by hand. And you can see like, oh, like that's the difference between a shaped brush and a cut brush or whatever. Like, And it's just so cool because... Even if you're, you know, like you and me, we have an appreciation for things that are handmade, but you you can't appreciate the different parts of that process unless you know them. Because how would you? You could guess. You'd be like, well, you know, it it has a handle and that handle probably gets put on somehow. So if uh, you enjoyed all of these wonderful I don't know, memory lane uh, or no, it's current. It's current for you. You're still doing the things that you're talking I'm st- about. I'm still walking along my lane, but, but yeah, you yeah are, no. you are. and, and um, feel free to ask me questions about, I'm going to try, I keep talking about this, but uh, we need to get better. Uh, we're working on a um, Wi-Fi extension into the studio. Cause I'm going to try to Twitch, do some oh, actual yes. Twitch streaming yes. to show people what's going on. I am so there for that. But also about like, you know, writing or or moderating or whatever. You can, um, uh, you know, face me on the tweets, uh, Insta me on the Twitch. I don't know. Let me tell everyone where we, they can find us. You can find our show notes, first of all, over at relay.fm slash make do. And we are make do pod on Twitter. So that's where you can kind of ask questions um, and on Instagram. Also, you can email us at make do pod at gmail.com. And you can find us individually at Tiffany Arment and Julia Scott, S-K-O-T-T. So if you have any questions or you have your own stories, um, please send them over because we really love hearing from our listeners. I, I don't know. I, of all the shows that I do, this show brings out kind of the most special, touching, amazing, uplifting, art-inspiring stories from our listeners. And I cherish getting to read every single one. And we will be back in a fortnight. And until then, go make and do and tell us about it.